Hi, and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Jason Grant Smith is a writer, director, producer who wrote, directed, and edited the documentary I Voted, which premiered at the 2016 Tribeca Film Festival. Executive producers for I Voted include Katie Couric and Oscar-nominated Regina Hay Scully. Representative Hank Johnson screened the film as part of a congressional briefing, and the documentary played a role in getting election legislation passed in both South Carolina and Rhode Island. Jason has performed voiceover work in numerous films and television shows, with credits including Avengers, Infinity War, Thor, Battle of the Sexes, The Mountain Between Us, Deadpool and Deadpool 2, War for the Planet of the Apes, Captain America, The Avengers, Iron Man 3, Avatar, and House of Cards. And Jason works as a mentor for filmmakers. Carol, I understand Jason is a donor to your Roy Dean Grant, right? Yes, Claire. He's been donating his time and support for a long time now. Thank you very much, Jason, for joining us. Sure, sure. Well, I want to take this chance to say thank you very much for being on our bi-monthly pitch sessions that we do for the fiscally sponsored filmmakers at From the Heart because you do an excellent job of helping them get their pitches improved, Jason. That's so important in funding. Oh, good. I'm glad. I'm glad it's helpful. Yeah, it is. And uh, I just want to say that um, that, that all these fiscal sponsors um, that – appreciate and learn from how you've raised money on your film. Uh, and it's a great film I voted. Uh, oh, thank you. Mark. <laughs> you did a brilliant <laughs> job of connecting with the right people. So let's start with how did you get this film to Katie Couric? Sure. So what happened was I was actually working on the film for, oh, gosh, probably about five years um, on my own. And a friend of mine from childhood uh, is married to Katie Couric. And I met her when they came to town. She was shooting something one time, and I met her when they came to town. And I was talking to her about the, the film, and she said, I'd love to see what you're – I'd love to see some footage and what you're working on. And I sent her a rough cut, and uh, she said, I want to be involved. And it, wow. was really, it, was, it was that simple, and as a result of that, I had some other folks that, that came on board – and so it wasn't um, – it really wasn't based on a concept that I had presented. It was a fully executed rough cut. I see. But you just walked up to her and introduced yourself and started talking about your film? Oh, no. A, a friend of mine is married to her. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. So you had someone so, introduce you. Yeah. He's, he, a childhood friend of mine is married to her. And uh, when they came to town, the two of them had come to town uh, – several years ago, about five years into my process. And at that time when I met her, I was telling her about this film and she asked me if she could see some of it. And so I sent her the rough cut. And that's when she said that she wanted to be involved. Well, good, because she recognized your brilliance. I mean, that was, (laughs) I I didn't see the rough cut, but I saw the film and I saw the trailer and I watched you working through all of the ins and outs to bring in the money. 
Then yeah. Um, and then you got to Regina Scully. I consider her the goddess of the documentary filmmaking because she really supports some of our most important documentaries. She sure does. And that was and that was basically through Katie. She had um oh, Katie had connected that sweet. link. They the two of them had um had done a couple of projects together. Oh, that is great. That was really kind of her to do that for you. Because oh, yeah. I, I think that uh, that uh, Regina just seems to have the Midas touch. When she gets involved in something, it, you can bet your bottom dollar it's going to win awards, get completed, and be one of our better docs. So that was kind of her. But Yeah, uh, she spreads just, a lot of uh, pixie dust around. <laughs> she does. She's a great yeah. lady. So tell us how you got into the voiceover business. I got into the voiceover. A good friend of mine is, um, he at the time, and this is going back many years, was an associate producer on Beverly Hills 90210. And he mentioned to me this idea of post-production voiceover work where you're basically the actors in the atmosphere in the background where they're they're silent when they're shooting a scene. So they need... uh, actors to fill in those voices or it might be first responders and military and that type of thing and I did this on some episodes of Beverly Hills 90210 and the next thing I know I've worked a couple couple hundred episodes of the show and I start getting work in features and other uh, TV shows so I've been at this for many many years and worked on hundreds of TV shows and movies and somehow got good at it right well Let's go back. I want to know um, about getting your film screened as a part of the congressional briefing, as Claire said, with Hank Johnson, Democrat from Georgia. So you had to, uh, to go approach him to do this, or how did you No, I, I, have to, I have to say I had nothing to do with having that happen other than making the film. What, what happened was I started getting, as a result of, of making the film afterwards, there were some people that found me that were involved in election integrity, and um, they liked the movie, and they're in the, in the business of trying to move the needle on legislation, and they organized this briefing and screened the film. Uh, it, was to con- it was for congressional staffers, and it was one of these things where apparently they have these uh, lunches where they'll bring in food, and they'll screen the film after the lunch because um, they <laughs> – well, they, they know that they're going to lose people if they have the, the movie. I'm sorry, if they have the lunch and then the movie, but I guess that's the way that they, they have to do it. But fortunately, people stuck around for the movie, and it was a packed uh, – I wasn't there, but apparently it was a packed screening, and, and people really enjoyed it. Oh, good. And it's played yeah. a role in getting election legislation passed, right? Yeah, it, in it has. It, it, it's in two states, in both South Carolina, there was a, and this is documented in the film, there was a state legislator that had seen the film and thought that these ideas were important, and uh, there was some legislation that he got passed. It's part of a path towards greater enhanced election integrity. And in Rhode Island, um, they had used the film as messaging to basically create public literacy so that uh, legislators and their staffs and people are able to understand this stuff because elections are deeply complicated um, mechanisms and most people don't understand this stuff and even the people that administrate elections don't really understand this stuff so what I tried to do was create a useful advocacy tool that was basically explaining how elections work 
in an informative and entertaining way so that we could talk about these things in an intelligent fashion rather than from a partisan point of view. Let's get into your five steps to creating a great film. What? Let's start with step one, bring us up to date. Step one is be you. There's only one you. Nobody can make a film like you because they're not you, nor can you make a film like someone else. You're always going to be your own best advocate, so you might as well be first in line for your own fan club. And that doesn't mean being egotistical, obnoxious, and self-centered. It simply means having a sense of confidence in what it is that you do, and it also means digging deep in creating content that resonates with you, because if it doesn't resonate with you, it won't resonate with others. So I think it's really important to figure out what your own strengths are and make those more robust because you're the only one that's going to have those and you're the only one that's going to be able to execute those. Absolutely. What are your own strengths? That's a very important statement because I've been writing something called Show Me the Money. And in there I'm saying if you are just too shy to make an ask or talk to people about money, if if it's just something you cannot do, then you have to decide, can you get, can you bring on a co-producer or someone else and you write grants, you do something that allows you to use your own talents and your own strengths, but bring someone else in with the strengths that you're missing, right? This is what you're talking about. I totally, I absolutely agree with that. And in addition to that, I would layer on, I think so many people get caught up in this idea of I'm the creative person. I need to find somebody else that's going to do all these other things. And it's quite possible that you might need to do that in the way that you just described. At the same time, I think it's also really important that filmmakers take on that hat of being an entrepreneur at the same time. And they look at their film as a commodity. They call it show business. It's not show show. So the business aspect of show business is something that you can't ignore is having a part of your arsenal. You have to be skilled at being able to do those things like raising money and moving mountains. And that it's important to recognize your strengths and your weaknesses, but I think it's also at the same time important to make your, or to to do everything you can to turn your weaknesses into strengths. Because like I was saying, at the end of the day, you're always going to be your own best advocate. And sure, you could bring in a co-producer to do some of those things that you talked about. And if you can find that partnership, that's great. But at this, I would also be so – I would really encourage filmmakers to recognize that for the most part, you are going to be the only one waking up in the morning trying to figure out how to get your project made. Exactly. It's all going to fall back on you all the time. Uh, yeah, and, also- and you can have those people around you. You can have those people around you, and you're probably going to have to provide them direction, but you've got to look at your own weaknesses and figure out how to turn them into strengths. Exactly. And this um, concept that I'm the artist and someone else has to do the yeah. money raising is, is uh, passe. That's not going to work anymore today. Um, what, uh, what works is when you know every line item on your budget and you can defend it because you can say, well, I spoke to uh, Jerry Deaton and he's doing my sound and he's given me the best price. It's $649. You're right on the number because you've got everything mm-hmm. together. Uh, and I think uh, years ago people might have been able to say, well, I, I'm not really sure what all those numbers are for because I had someone do that budget for me. That's like losing your power 
when you're in a, a meeting talking about money. Don't you agree? I totally agree because you do, as you described, you have to defend it because if you're going to ask me for money, I, if I'm a funder, if I'm funding something, I'm going to want to know what you're spending it on. I'm going to want to, I'm going to, want to know that you're actually applying my money to something that's going to work and that you know how to execute that. Because if you tell me, well, I don't know exactly what that's for. Somebody else came up with that money. It's like, well, then do you even know what to do with that money? <laughs> right. 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 It's important that you take on the entrepreneurial side, too, exactly as you're Absolutely. Saying. Absolutely. Because, it, it, because in the end, you're also going to have to figure out not just how to create this art, but how to commoditize this art. How are you going to – How are you going to? what's going to be the trajectory from getting that art to a marketplace where people are entering a credit card into a iTunes account to buy your film? And if you ignore that component – then you're not going to commoditize your film. Exactly right. Where's the audience? That's what I say. Well, who's your audience and how are you going to find Who's your it? audience? Absolutely. Yeah. And in the initial stages, I think that filmmakers also need to look at this, that in the initial stages, your audience is actually your funders. Yes. But your funders are, are your audience. Both, they work both ways. You're, uh, yes. When you find your audience, you find your money. Mm-hmm. That's right, because one thing that I know from my own experience is that, it, you know, with your grant, Carol, your grant is kind of out of the box. Your grant is so unique. I mean, I don't know. You know, it's funny on these filmmaking websites when they come out with the grants, like these are the grants you need, to, the filmmakers need to know about, and your grant is always on that list. Your grant is so unique because it's for films. <laughs> so many yeah. grants are like they're very specific, like it has to be a certain type of filmmaker, they have to represent a certain community, and you you're basically open to anybody. You're saying you're not you doesn't you don't have to be a woman. You don't have to be a Native American. You don't have to be LBGTQ. <laughs> it's like you you can be a filmmaker, and it's important that those other grants exist, of course, to service those communities. But you're open to films to filmmakers, which is really kind yes. of unique. I don't know that there are that many of those. Oh well, thank you. People love the grant. I, um, yeah, it's amazing. I, it's one of my most fun things that I get to do in life. Well, all right, that's okay. So number one, be you. There's only mm -hmm. one you. All yeah. Right? So what's number two? Number two is be open. Change is the only thing that's constant. The best laid plans usually turn into something else. Sometimes change is fortuitous. Frequently it's not, but it is inevitable, and it will impact your project at every stage of the endeavor. So flexibility is paramount, and the ability to adapt and pivot will be key to your success. Wow. That is true. It's very true. When people call me and say that they want to do crowdfunding, for example, Mm -hmm. And I say, how many names do you have in your database? They may say, oh, I have 300 names, and how much do you want to raise? Well, we need 50000 for our budget. Well, this is when <laughs> you have to be very flexible because you're into yeah. a whole new world with this crowdfunding, and no one realizes you have to bring your crowd to the crowdfunding. You do, and crowdfunding – I think one thing that gets lost in crowdfunding is people, people forget that crowdfunding is basically limited to your sphere of influence. 
And what I mean by that is what you just said about the list. Like, well, how many people do you have on your list? You have 300. Well, that's your sphere of influence. Mm -hmm. So you have to figure out how to maximize your sphere of influence and also create a ripple effect. For example, if you can get somebody that has a larger sphere of influence to tap into that on your behalf, well, then you've expanded your potential opportunities. Now, so it's talk like throwing about that, a, a rock into a pond. That is the key, Jason. That is yeah. the key. And I'm talking to people about getting about laterally expanding like that. And so tell us more about that because people have got to – find organizations and groups who are interested in the same concept to expand mm -hmm. their database. Right. So it would depend on what it is that your subject is about. So if you were creating, let's say it was a documentary that was some type of advocacy film that you were trying to get legislation passed. Let's say it's a film about environmental uh, climate change. It's a documentary about climate change. Well, then you would have to try and figure out who are the audiences? What audience am I going to serve? And when people say, and I know you probably get this all the time when, when people, you ask people, well, who's your audience? And their response is, well, everybody, people that like movies, that's my audience. Well, no, that's actually not your audience. Your audience, yes, there'll be people that like movies, but at the same time, there are people that like certain types of movies or people that are interested in certain issues within movies. So it's really important that you have to understand what organizations are serving those issues that you're focused on. What are the organizations that are servicing uh, public literacy on climate change? How are they doing that? Would documentary film be a tool that would be useful to them? Because if you contact organizations, you could contact the organization to help climate change um, through documentary film. And you could contact that organization and say, hey, any possibility I can get your help on this project? And say, well, we only help films that are made in Oregon. <laughs> or something like that. So you have, to, yeah. you have to hit these organizations and these grants right in their sweet spot. Because if you don't get them right in their sweet spot, you're not going to get their support, which may come through funding or it may come through uh, tapping into their database and their sphere of influence. So the more that you mm -hmm. can collect those types of people that have common goals and interests, you're building partnerships and you're building a community. And by building a community, you can help build your team and your film. Absolutely. Yes, build your community and that, and you fund your film, and then the, the same people that are funding you will buy your download, and they'll tell their friends and the ones that are going to do all the social networking for you. Yeah, and, and, and it's also uh, really important in that process that you include the community. I didn't do this on my project, and I've seen people do this uh, that's really helpful. Is in, the, in the process of making your film, if you can include people in that process – then they have an emotional investment and attachment. It might even be people that you don't know. Obviously, your friends and family are going to be interested in what it is that you're doing to some extent. Uh, and so when you involve people in that process and that journey and you engage them in that, then they have an emotional attachment and they want you to be successful. They want your film to do well and they'll be excited to see it. Exactly. One of the women I was working with on a weekly basis told me uh, that she said it's time I have to send out a report to my Kickstarter group and I don't want to send it because I have to admit to them I'm not as far along as I promised I would be. So mm -hmm. I said, look, 
just put a big headline that says I spend 95% of my time raising money and 5% making the film. That's what Arson Wells reported, and it's still true today. And she did that, and uh, she got a phone call because, you know, you don't know uh, when you did a Kickstarter, so people passed your name to other people. So this right. man, she had never heard of before, he called and said, how much do you need? And she said, I need 130000 And he wrote her a check. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> so this, too, can happen. Uh, I think, in all honesty, I think faith funds films. I think you have to see your film funded, know that the money is there, pretend you already have it, and keep moving forward in your mind. See the completion of the film. And I know that's what you were doing. I don't think you ever stopped visualizing and seeing the completed film, right? I didn't. And, it, you know, I, and it's both a blessing and a curse because it becomes um, that, that North Star that constantly guides you in terms of seeing it. Like it's there in front of you and you can see it and you have to stay on that path until it's in the rearview mirror. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you, you really do. You have to see it even and, – and, the, and the, the most challenging part is to try and see it when it's not there, when it's not actually there. That's exactly. really the challenge. And there are times in the process that every filmmaker has experienced where it's, you just think, I'm at my darkest point and it's not going to happen. I'm not going to be able to make it happen. And that's when I tell people that's when you really have to have your foot on the gas. Great way to respond. Just keep on going and go harder than ever, right? Yeah. Yeah, you have to double down. Now, granted, in certain situations, I'm not going to say ruin your life with your film if it's just you can't make it happen. And that does happen. It also happens, I mean, in my own personal experience, I was working on a completely different documentary idea when I, when I stumbled across the voting documentary, and it turned out that this other documentary idea, um, it was about the knuckleball, which is a pitch in baseball. And I found out as I was working on this that there were some very experienced documentary filmmakers that were working on the same project, and they had access that I was never going to get. And so I had to be honest with myself and say, I'm not going to be able to make this happen. It's just not going to happen. And I was parallel processing that and the voting documentary, and I thought, well, this is going to allow me to focus all of my energy on the voting documentary. So it was a blessing in disguise. One door closed and another opened. So I think that that's a way to really, really hammer home this idea of be open because change is the only thing that's constant. And you took that opportunity to move forward with the new film, and it was successful. That's right. So that's but it didn't really feel like an opportunity at the time, Carol. It didn't feel mm-hmm. like an opportunity at the time. And one thing that's, you know, there's this famous uh, quote, I think it's been said by a number of people, including JFK and Condoleezza Rice, that the Chinese have the same word for crisis and opportunity. Yes, I love that. I love the fact that that is the same word. It's a crisis, but it's an opportunity to change things. Uh, yeah. You know, when I was running my company, Jason, I uh, I had a really good relationship with the Agfa Gewurt. They were owned by Bayer, and they made uh, raw stock. They made a, a um, uh, not color negative, but the print film. 
And so mm-hmm. they, and then they went into the videotape world. So they had a lot of videotape that was the end of uh, a run, and they wanted to sell it. And I made a bid, right. and they had taken me all over Europe to show me their plants, and so we were really close. And I didn't get the bid, and I was devastated. Um, and I, I really had been expecting it, so I, my inventory was low and everything. So I, it, to me, that was a crisis. Well, fast forward about three or four months, and um, in those days, you got your news from the Fuji or the Maxell rep as they came around and talked to everybody to see what was going <laughs> on, right? right. It, it wasn't on the Internet. And so right. this uh, rep came into my office and said, did you hear what's happening with your biggest competitor? I said, no. He said, well, you know, they won the bid for that Aquagavert tape. And he said, it's all bad, and they have so many lawsuits, they may not make it through the year. They may have to file bankruptcy. And I <laughs> I thank the heavens for not letting me have that bid. Wasn't that wonderful? Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because I found, and I know you talk about this a lot, that when you set an intention, the universe, if you're really strong with that intention and you live the intention, if you live that intention, the universe finds a way to reward you for that, although you have to be open to receiving those gifts from the universe because if, you don't, if you're not open to receiving them and you're not open to change, then you're not going to recognize the opportunity when it comes your way. Because you're so exactly. set in the idea of the way something has to be and the map that you've created for yourself that you're not open to seeing, well, how actually might this be different and work even better? Exactly. You're so right. Well, all right, let's go to number three. Number three is to be resourceful. In independent filmmaking, you're often going to have to cut corners using borrowed scissors, and you're most likely going to be asking <laughs> for favors and assistance. So I encourage filmmakers to pay people when appropriate, which is almost all of the time, and to respect professional value. You may not be able to pay market value to professionals that you're working with, but pay them something. And if you can't come up with the funds to make your film, you do need to be honest and ask yourself if you're presenting the project in the best light. Maybe you're not attracting others because you haven't fully fleshed out what it is that you're doing. And if you flesh out what it is that you're doing and you set that intention and you're resourceful, then you will attract the right energy to your project, which includes funding. This is very true. Um, I totally understand that. I think that every time you have a relationship with someone, there has to be a balance, no matter what is going on. In other words, someone gives you something, you have to give them back something of equal value or more. And this is Mm. in Waddle's information from 100 years ago. He said, always give more than you receive. And this is in the back of all of the potential donors' minds. They won't say it, but they want to know what's in it for me. So you and, And it could be. Uh, a special screen that says thank you to John Smith for uh, for this donation. <laughs> or, right. or he could be on a page with five others. Or it might be uh, that he collects baseball cards and you get him a baseball card. It doesn't matter what it is, but it's, it has to be some balance where the other person, the receiver, is happy that they're getting more than they asked for. 
Absolutely. And I would also, I would layer on top of that, that filmmakers, I think, get scared frequently, especially in documentary, which doesn't have the same revenue model as traditional features. It's very difficult to make a profit in documentary. So the funders that you're approaching, you have to make clear to them or at least position your film in a way that, yes, it may make money, but at the same time presenting the value of the film for returns that aren't financial. For example, maybe you're approaching a group of dentists to fund your film, and there's no connection between those angel investor dentists and the project that, they're working, that you're working on. It might be about the climate change movie. So what's the yes. connection between dentists and climate change? Well, there may not be one other than you got a group of dentists that want to have their name on a movie. Exactly. It might be as simple as that. It might be something really simple. But as you said, as you really correctly noted, there has to be some type of value. So it's your job as the filmpreneur to come up with what that value is and present it in the most attractive light. Now, in, in some situations, if it's an advocacy film and documentary, then if you find those influencers that are trying to move the needle on legislation or something like that, your task might be easier in terms of providing that return, which would be creating public literacy on an issue, that you're not going to make them money with the documentary necessarily, but you're going to help move the needle on an issue. And that right. in documentary, I think, is, the, is one of the more important connections that you can make. But you have to always present your film to potential investors as an opportunity rather than asking as a favor. Yes, it, and you want to invite people to join you. Mm-hmm. I think that Absolutely. we should start thinking of inviting people rather than asking people. So it's a different energy, don't you think? I, I totally agree because as soon as you ask somebody for something, like if you said to me, Carol, if, I, if, if you said to me, hey, Jason, I could use your help on something, as soon as you say the word I could use your help, my, my defenses go up. I'm thinking, ah, I don't want to give help. I mean, I love Carol, but it's like, ah, what's the help? Is she going to ask me to help her move or drive her to the airport? I'm like, what's it going to be? So, but I've found, and this is my own little thing, I'll ask for advice. Everybody loves giving advice. Oh, that's so, so smart. Be like, hey, yes. Carol, I want to get your advice about something. Any chance you could take me to the airport? <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's really important that you frame things in a way where you are inviting people, as you said, to participate in something and that you do sort of a push-pull is when you engage people in something and you invite them, then you're creating the hopefully emotional connection to something. And when you have that emotional connection, that's when you have that participation. There's a get back and forth and there's that tension that's built in that allows you to bring that person in so that you're not just pulling them, but they're coming toward you. Right. Yes, they're coming towards you and they join you and they are honored to be there. This is what's so important. I find the energy behind the money, Jason, is the most important thing. And I can best explain that through a story where this woman called me one time and she said, you know those people that are making that film? And she, I said, yes. And she said, well, they want me to invest in that film, but I don't want to invest. You know, I just want to give it to them. I want to see mm-hmm. them make the film, and, and I don't want them to worry about paying me back. I thought, this is the kind of money everybody wants, you know? Yeah. The support, the love, I mean, the concern, the caring. It was all in that 
uh, check that she wrote. And that's now, I would say, now, this, is, this is amazing. I just want to jump in and say this one thing. There was an error, and I don't know what the connection was between this donor and the filmmakers, but clearly the filmmakers made a very, what fortunately sounds like it wasn't a catastrophic error, but they made an error in assessing what that, donor's, what that donor was looking for in terms of a return. Exactly. They weren't paying attention to the donor. They weren't reading the donor or listening to them. Right. And, Carol, you could write a book on how important it is to read the room. (laughs) So true. Actually, if I'm not mistaken, you have written that book. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Okay. This is so important. Be resourceful. This is really great. You have to really uh, start thinking what works and what doesn't work and what am I doing right and what can I do better. And... um, you know, wake up each morning and think, how can I, what can I do today that would be a blessing for someone? How can I show my appreciation to all those people in my life? Things like that yeah. will make you feel good. Yeah, and, and it's also, I think, it, it, these things like these, these ideas and these steps that I'm saying, they're not mutually exclusive. These things all do connect with each other. They're not oh, so like what yeah. you were just saying about like the gratitude and that type of thing. Yeah, that's that's part of being you. That's part of being open and then creating like you said of what can I show to people? That's being resourceful. So all these things they all they all live together. They're they're one happy family and they're energies that you can tap into. Like you just said that money is that 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 there's energy of I I would I would say that there's energy within money. That money itself creates energy. Money creates possibility. Money is energy, and um, that's and this is very important to to learn. Um, Reverend Ike always said, "Money has ears. Be careful what you say. When you say I don't yeah. have any money, then the universe says what." What? You don't have any money. Well, wait a minute. We were just going to give you some money. I don't think so. Not if that's your, uh, if that's how you want your life. We're listening to you. Everything you say is yeah. put out there, is part of what you get back. So, and it is an energy. And see, too many times, people have been um, impregnated with the thought that money is evil, and those people with money are not nice and. This is all wrong because money is just an energy that comes in and goes out uh, of mm-hmm. your life or comes in its days, thankfully, in some people's lives. But it is an energy. It is, and it's capable. It has the possibility of doing wonderful things, and it has the possibility of doing awful things. And it has to be respected. Like you just said, it has ears. It has to be respected. It's not just a concept, but it's a commodity that allows you to do things. So it's not evil. Yeah. It's like, you know, money's money's almost like uh, this maybe isn't the best analogy. It's like technology. It's like it's capable of doing good things. It's capable of doing bad things, but it has to be respected. Absolutely. It really does. And and I think we're going to see the end of cash before too long. So we're not going to have anything tangible to hold on to, which is really going to be interesting how we're going to handle yeah. electronic stuff, right? It's true. Uh, it's that's true. getting us further and further away from the real uh, money, the, knowing that there is an exchange between things. Um, mm-hmm. So, okay, I'm ready for number four. Number four is be passionate. Showing up is a big part of 
any filmmaking venture, if you're convinced you're making the greatest film ever, figure out how to share your vision with others. Because by convincing others through your passion, you're going to build that team and you're going to build that community. And as we were just saying, these are necessary components for the success of your film. Convincing people through passion is necessary for any artist, especially when the art is at the conceptual stage, because you're going to need to convince others of the value of your idea without actually having the idea executed. And then you're going to need to convince audiences through that execution that your great ideas are up on the screen. Yes. So at every step, there needs to be that passion. And sometimes if you're passionate and you can, sometimes you have to maybe fake your way through that passion. One thing that I was really lucky with, with my, with my last film, this documentary that I did on voting, I spent six years on, I was never bored with the topic and I was never bored with the film. I ran into a lot of frustrations along the way and it was really challenging at many times, but I was never bored. I was always passionate about it. So if you can find something that brings you that level of passion, that's what your film is. And if you don't have that level of passion for it, maybe it's not the right film for you. Absolutely not. No, you can't go. And six years is the average for a documentary. And it usually it's eight when you put on research, marketing, and distribution. Yeah. So if you did, if yours was only six, you you did it. Well, you know what you know what's funny, Carol is. What's funny is it actually is eight because for me it's eight because now I'm coming out of the cycle and I'm literally just wrapping things up now because my film is going into a stage of obsolescence as, um, as laws change. It was accurate when I did it, but as a result of it being a dynamic situation when dealing with elections, it's fluid and it's changing so that in the next election cycle, my film won't be relevant anymore. It'll be certainly be a lot less relevant because there'll be so many things that are inaccurate in the film at that point. So I'm now coming out of that. And as you just said, eight years. So yeah, you better be passionate about it. Be passionate. But what you have is a historical document of what was going on. And that's really important to us to know where we were. Oh, I like that. You just gave me a tool. I'm going to start framing it as a historical document. I love it. Yes, (laughs) definitely. is. It is. Perfect. I'm going to steal that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, good. What I find is um, I I set aside time to read my film grants, and I'll give myself two or three hours uninterrupted time. So I'm reading and reading, and then all of a sudden I get one where wham, the passion comes off the page. And I think, what is, what's this? Who is this person? What are they so excited about? Uh, because it infects me. It's uh, wonderful. It's contagious. And I love the passionate people. Um, and they're the ones that go to the top of the page. Your application, when you submit it, was very passionate. I knew nothing about voting and voting machines and uh i saw where you know your trailer where they were going into empty uh voting rooms at 6 a.m everybody there to watch them that'll stay with me forever because i was thinking (laughs) my god anybody can get in there and do anything to those machines so you you made your point right away with the i voted question mark i got it uh but the passion was there and this is the key for filmmakers to understand, because if you're not passionate, why should I be passionate? 
You know, I would, this um, years ago I was working on a feature um, that was directed by a friend of mine. It wasn't a documentary. It was a straight narrative. And there was a scene that he was shooting where he was working with somebody that had maybe one or two lines in the film. And this director was working with this actor that had one or two lines in the film. And you would have thought you were watching Martin Scorsese working with Robert De Niro <laughs> in terms of the level of detail and passion that the director had in working with this actor. And so I, and it was literally like maybe five seconds on screen. That's what it was. And I said to oh the director, gosh. I said afterwards, and there were all kinds of problems that were going on and they're working through this. And so I asked the director afterwards at the end of the day, I said, why did you spend so much time with that actor on that scene? And he said, because for those five seconds, that actor is the star of the film. Wow. And I thought, yup, he sure is. And I saw this quote from James Cameron that said, filmmaking isn't about paying attention to the details. It's about paying attention to every detail. Every detail, right. Uh, So you can make yourself nutty with that, but you got to have the passion. The passion is what buttresses that. The passion is what propels that level of attention to details. Exactly. It's passion. And the point that is that because it takes eight years, you, if you're not loaded mm-hmm. with passion about it when you first start on the film, you definitely won't have that passion three to five years later. I mean, you've got oh. to start out at a 10 no. so you can function at a six or a seven for the rest of the time. And, and because you can't stop once you get going on this, you have when you get this train moving, you have to keep going. Right. And it's really it's important. Hard you're, you're right. And it's really important. It is a hard road. And you have to ask yourself and be honest with yourself. And this is actually uh, probably a good, a good segue because this is number five, which yes. is be honest. It's be honest. <laughs> oh, boy. And, and what I mean by that is while telling the truth is, of course, a really good way to go through life. That's not what I'm referring to. You want to be honest with yourself. You want to be honest with yourself in terms of, well, what am I doing and why am I doing it? Does Mm -hmm. this make sense for me? Am I doing this because I want to do it or because it's a commitment that's thrust upon me because I said to some friends while I was drunk I should make a film about climate change? (laughs) And they said, yeah, it's a good idea. And then all of a sudden you start getting on this train. You're like, wait a minute, I'm not even driving this thing. This is something that came out as a result of an idea that I had that sounded good. So you really need to be honest with yourself and say, do I even want to do this? Is this something that makes sense for me? Do I need to do this? And also you need to be honest with others and not lie. And while we sometimes lie in life, I think it's part of the human condition, we should never, we should never deceive, pe- deceive people in terms of like saying something when we know it's not true. We definitely shouldn't right. do that. And we also, we shouldn't lie to ourselves. Because when we lie to ourselves about our film, we run the risk of making an expensive, awful mess that will lose money and damage relationships. And the list of lies that we can tell others runs very long, and the list of lies that we can tell ourselves runs even longer. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. That's exactly right. Well, what and, I see, And if you're not uh, honest in that process, you can, you can really get yourself into a lot of trouble. 
Exactly. I see grants where people have never made a film before. They are determined to direct. It's their first film. They want to direct it, and the budget is $20 million. And that's <laughs> not being honest. I mean, how? And they don't know anybody with money. Right. So you've got to be honest and say, this is not going to work. Uh, I have to be realistic. Maybe if I made a film for 200000 and mm-hmm. and uh, I had something to prove I am a filmmaker, and then I go out on the street, I might be able to get a million or two million, and then I'll make that film and see what happens and go on up. And so people will trust me with $20 million. But uh, although I have to say, Carol, I love the, the the hubris of somebody saying I've never made a film before, but twenty million, send it my way, and I'll start on the project. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, well, it's very important to be honest. There's a lot to say about that. I think you're so yeah. Right. So we've got be you. There's only one you. Change mm-hmm. is the only thing that's constant. True mm-hmm. in our industry. Be open. Yeah, be open. Be be open to change and be resourceful for independent filmmakers often have to cut corners and using borrowed scissors. Boy, are you right there. And be passionate, showing up is a big part of any filmmaker's venture, and uh, be honest. Uh, You know, I will tell you this. um, I've been writing about the pitch, and the point is that usually people can tell in 30 seconds, Jason, if they want to fund you or not, because they're going to make a decision about whether they like you, trust you, or want to be involved with you within the first 30 seconds. And It's probably even less than that, isn't it, Carol? Well, this is, (laughs) it could be, but I, this is where uh, I'm going by Merbayan, who's done some studies on it. Now, Passionate is the key here. If you're not passionate totally. about your film when you were talking about it, then you're uh, you could be turned off immediately. If you walk in and your eyes are darting around the room, you don't have direct eye contact with the person, and you're saying, "Well, I just want you to know," and you're looking at the floor, then I'm making a film called "I Voted," and I thought you might be interested in hearing about it. Well, uh, no. <laughs> If you're not interested and you're so unexcited about it, I I definitely am going to turn you off immediately. So passion is number one. Yeah, passion is is so important, and sometimes you might not even be sure. There's that old saying of fake it till you make it. Sometimes you might have to fake that passion. I mean, the more that you can have it be real and authentic, great. But sometimes you might have to – fake it to yourself in order to engage others. And that can work. You know, it depends how good a performer you are. You can, you can you, fake that. Yes. I don't think you can do it long term. Like, I don't think you could fake it for years. But, yeah, sometimes you have to fake it. Sometimes you might have to go into a pitch or some type of situation where you have to fake the passion. And maybe you're not feeling the love that day for your project for whatever reason. And there's going to be ups and downs of the project where you're not as passionate about it. And you're saying, well, why am I even doing this? Yes. Well, fake it. Fake it at that point. <laughs> when you say to yourself, why am I even doing this, and you have a lunch that day with your donor, fake it. Yes, 
be there, be uh, be honest with yourself, and say this is going to be a great day. I'm going to be do well, but because see, your fifth point of be honest is also in Mervan's information. He says that um, if you do anything different with your body from what you're saying. In other words, if you've got your arms crossed, your legs crossed, and and you're all covered up like you're protecting yourself, and you're talking to someone about giving you money, there's something off here. Uh, And Mm. they don't know. I mean, they exactly. They could never tell you the reason or reasons why they would say no. They just felt it was wrong because your body language or your lack of eye contact or lack of enthusiasm in your voice is incongruent with what you're saying. That's where they turn you off. Well, what's interesting about what you just said is it's that concept of, and one thing we didn't really talk about was that concept of communication through passion. Because if you're somebody, let's say you're somebody that's passionate, but you don't display that, that passion in some type of conventional way that most people recognize as being passion, well, you better figure out for those few minutes that you're, you're talking to a funder of how to be conventionally passionate, <laughs> of how to have right. the signals that somebody would traditionally read as being passion. Exactly. Because you have, to, you have to have that communication. You have to have that like back and forth of this, I'm excited about this, and this person needs to understand that I have this level of enthusiasm and excitement about it. Because if you're not able to effectively communicate that. Mm -hmm. Right. And Carol and Jason, if I may, I'd like to add something also to what you were saying. Um, Because everything you're saying about passion is so true. And I find that whenever I, I notice that my passion may be slipping about something, maybe I've gotten off the mark or, out of the center of my heart for what that passion was on the project, I have to remind myself what gave me the passion in the first place. So that then the passion is authentic, and that's what you deliver. Yeah, it's almost like, you know, that's a great way of looking at it. That's almost like a relationship, you know, with your partner of you got to have date night. (laughs) <laughs> Maybe you got the kids and all that in the soccer practice, but you got to get back to the basics and have date night, which is exactly what you just described, Claire. Right. Yeah. Why did you get into this mess in the first place? There it is. Yeah. I remember yeah. that. And, yeah. if you can't, and, and if you can't define that, if you can't articulate that, that over an extended period of time, you know, like you were saying, Carol, sometimes you might not be feeling it. But And if that it goes on, it's like, well, I'm not really feeling it today. I'm going to keep the passion. I'm going to keep going. And maybe you'll turn that around. But if it takes six months or a year for you to turn around that passion, then you need to be honest with yourself and say, well, why am I doing this? Should I be doing this? But maybe yeah, it's a couple of days honest. and maybe it's a roller coaster of up and down where you see the, the clouds parting and the skies opening up for opportunity. And then the next day it's cloudy skies and it's raining again. And it might be like that for a few days or a few weeks. And then the skies open up again. That's the, that's the process. But if the clouds are, sky, are dark and they're stormy for a year or two years, well, then your passion, maybe your passion isn't going to override that, and you need to be honest with yourself and say, does this make sense for me? Exactly, yes. I, and I never 
have I ever talked to a filmmaker who didn't close one door and another opened almost immediately for them? Yeah, and they felt they were on yeah. the and wrong track. Great, yeah, and there's great there's great value actually in in quitting. And it might be a project, it might be, it might be an aspect of your project, but there's great value in quitting because, as you said, when one door closes, another door opens, and there's opportunity Always. somewhere else. Yeah. Well, Jason, I know you work with filmmakers as a mentor, so tell us about that mm-hmm. and how people can reach you. Yeah, people can reach me um, at jason at ivotedmovie.com, jason at ivotedmovie.com, and... I work with filmmakers really at any stage that they're at in their process. Um, One thing that happened as a result of my spending eight years on a project, and it was really, until I got into the editing room, it was really one-man band filmmaking. I was cast, crew, cameraman, everything. That's how I approached my project. And one one great thing of value in doing it that way was I don't encourage anybody to do that, but one thing that came to me that was of great value is I learned every step of the process. I learned yes. everything that is involved in getting something from a concept up onto the screen. And as a result of gaining that knowledge, I'm able to translate that to others where you might have filmmakers that say, I don't know what's involved in doing that. Well, you can find somebody like me that does know how to do that. Like what's involved in getting your film onto iTunes? What's the most cost-effective way of doing that? What are the specifics that are required to do that, to create a DCP? Some of your listeners might not know what that is, but if they're making a film, they're going to find out. What's the most cost-effective way of getting one of those? What's involved in quality control for a DCP? You know, all these different little technical things because the devil is in the details and filmmaking involves a lot of details. So yes, what it I'm does. able to do and what it definitely does, something that I'm able to do and offer filmmakers is the opportunity to have somebody look at their project. And I, I, the first question I always ask filmmakers is, what's your, what are your pain points? Where are you at in the process and what are your pain points? That's what I really do with filmmakers is help them with their pain points. Really, no matter what they are. I'm not a graphic artist, so I don't create special effects or that type of thing, but I can certainly project management and really provide guidance and assistance to a project, whatever, whatever it is at whatever stage that it's at. That's so I encourage film, exactly. filmmakers are having a problem in their process or they're looking for a second pair of eyes on something, could be providing notes on a rough cut. It could be helping create the artwork for the thumbnail uh, piece that they need for Amazon or iTunes or video on demand or whatever it might be, the technical aspects, whatever they need. I'm, I'm able to hopefully provide that. And if I'm not, I'll tell somebody I can't do that. Okay. Well, this is, sounds marvelous because this is what happens. Everybody is out there working all alone and they don't get enough feedback. And feedback is what really can take you forward once you know, oh, I did this right, that was good, and all I have to do for this other problem is X, Y, and Z, and I'm off and running. It's empowering to work with someone like you, Jason. It really is. You know because you've been there. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. And and what I I like to try and do with people, I mean, it, it, it depends on what the needs are of the project and the filmmaker. I think one thing, like you were saying, that it's a solitary endeavor, and people lose the ability to see, filmmakers lose the ability to see the equation because they're so close to the chalkboard. So 
what I hopefully am able to do is provide a little bit of a filter that just is a slight adjustment to something that lets them go flower in a whole other direction. It's like when you go to the uh, eye doctor and you're looking at the chart and then they just do a slight adjustment and then all of a sudden it's clear. Yes. That it goes from fuzzy to clear with just a slight adjustment. And filmmakers sometimes lose the ability to be able to make that slight adjustment on their own because they're not able to see it because they're so close to the chalkboard. Exactly. Well said. Well, our time is up. Jason, thank you so much for this generous interview. And, Claire, we appreciate your hosting the show and taking care of all our technical problems. Thank you for that. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Okay, Jason, thank you very much. Best of luck. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N dot com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to the Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone.